why can't like it's absolutely fine like lived experiences of black people have the floor fight your corner do your thing and I'm with you all the way the same with all the other issues we're constantly talking about but as soon as you pipe up and start talking about working class issues it's jumped on and it's just because it's just because it's got that scary word white at the front of it yeah I'm Neil Maggs, and this is Bristol Unpacked, speaking to fascinating Bristolians on topics where others may fear to tread. Brought to you by the city's community-owned media, The Bristol Cable. In this week's episode of Bristol Unpacked, we talk to filmmaker and Harcliffe boy Paul Holbrook. Is the film industry diverse enough? Do we see and hear enough working-class voices? What is it to be working-class these days? And the recent report by the government into education and white boys. Should we be looking for diversity to broaden out its reach to class, not just race, gender, sexuality and disability? All right, Paul. Hello, mate. All right? Yeah, I'm good. Right then, Paul Holbrook. I mean, there's no point in me pretending at the start of our conversation that we don't know each other, <laughs> is it really? I've done that, you know, I can't start interviewing you and then it's like, well, we've known each other for like probably, it is probably about almost 15 to 20 years now. Yeah, we did. Yeah. But we actually started working together. People might know that we have, you know, I've made a documentary with you in Hartcliffe. We've done some comedy stuff together. We're kind of mates, you know, in other ways as well. But we actually started working together <laughs> in our early 20s for a private investigations company, didn't we? We did, the Bureau of Investigations. I used to get called Magnum PI by people who used to take the mickey a little bit. And we were like tracing agents and we had to find people and stuff like that. And uh, my well, how I remember you first is, so we kind of had to find people by, I mean, you get a name, you got to find out kind of where they live. And uh, I've always thought I was like good at A, being a bit risky and doing impressions. So I can do different accents of people. And we used to have these sort of competitions to sort of see who could do so many. And you'd, you'd get a word written down, sometimes an offensive word. And you had to say that as many times in the phone call. And you were the only one that came anywhere near close to beating me. I think I did beat you. I was the best at that thing. Do you think so? I, I, we, I, I don't know. Yeah, I just, I, no. I just had the biggest balls. So I just come out and say it, when I? Do you know what? That job, yeah. I was thinking the other day. That was the closest, uh, I think, when I left school, I always wanted to be an actor. Yeah, I've told you that before. Yeah. Like, in some small way, that was, that was as close as we got. Right? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. On those schools, pretending to be someone else. But yeah, but. yeah, that was the closest to that acting career. You have done a bit of acting, though. If I know now you're like a proper serious filmmaker making, you know, horror films and winning awards and all of that, but you actually started off doing comedy. Uh, well, I started off having a go at it, and then I soon realised it's a lot more difficult than it seems. Yeah, we've both moved into more sort of serious territory now, haven't we, really? I'm doing, like, you know, serious interviews and, and documentaries. You're making, you know, um, quite um, quite horrific, some of your films, actually, your most recent one. I can't keep up with all your films because you've got so many out all the time. How many awards have you won now? Uh, all of them. Yeah? <laughs> I don't know. You've you got another one today, didn't you? So yeah, we, right? did, yeah. we won uh, the Director's Prize at Film Quest over in America. Do you have to enter yourself into all these? Well, most of them come from, from like, uh, it's film festivals, you know what I mean? So when you make a film and you're trying to get an audience on it and get eyes on it, you submit it to film festivals around the world, mm. hoping that it'll get a chance to play. 
and then most of the festivals, they pick awards at the end of at the end of the festival and they show trophies and the like. Do you know what I mean? It's just it's just good for the CV, mate. That's all. I mean, you're synonymous with being from Hartcliffe. You you do you know you're known as being probably one of the only people in the Sony in the arts and film world to you know not just emerge from Hartcliffe in recent times, but also probably from more of a working class background. Mm. So presumably you are often when you go to these award ceremonies or I think you've get invited to panels and stuff now as well. Are you, are you like one of the only working class voices in that space? Uh, yeah, more often than not, I would say so. I mean, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because I, I think the working class label is a bit of a broad label anyway. It's quite easy for people to go, yeah, I'm working class too. My dad was a this or my mum was that. I feel like I'm certainly the only person on these panels and in these rooms that, that kind of grew up in, you know, extreme poverty, uh, you know, in a place like Arcliffe. Oh, man, we went we went without food for days on end when I was a kid. Like, so I grew up with a single mum in a one-bedroom council flat in Arcliffe until I was about nine or ten years old. And I can remember being a kid and just going without food, being hungry a lot of the time. Mm. I remember having to knock on neighbours' doors asking for food. I remember my mum crying herself asleep. All that, I can remember no electric, no gas. I remember ice on the inside of the windows, all this kind of stuff growing up. Um, and then through through my teenage years, when I kind of went out on my own, um, bouncing from sofa to sofa or family member to family member, you know, days there and days days there, little jobs and stuff to, to keep going, that kind of thing. Do you know what I mean? It's, 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 I think it's different to... I know a lot of working class, working class people that you know, are, like we've said before, extremely well off. They, you know. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people I know that would still identify as working class in, like, I guess the traditional definition of like see what you know C two D E voters, which is people in like you know blue collar manual workers that are chippies or scaffolders or builders. A lot of them now have actually gone on to do. They earn a far lot more money than I do. You know, they've got big houses and a lot of them have got loads of staff and little self-employed businesses. Not all of them, but a lot of them have. And, and actually, um, it sort of throws out that whole debate, isn't it? Which is, is being working class just about economics or is it a culture, you know, and, yeah. a, and, and a way of, of being and stuff? Because there is this new debate taking place. And I think there's like a revisionist attitude to, to class a bit. That it, I guess it's the, what is like the Marxist definition, which is that, you know, if you... If you're boss class, so you can you can grow up in Arcliffe on the estate, and if you're now own a few properties and rent them out, or you're you've got a small little business and, and you've got people who work for you, by definition you cease to be working class. But I guess the counter to that is that same person, if he walked up to some gentleman's club in Clifton, he mm-hmm. wouldn't straight away he wouldn't be accepted by them, no matter how rich he is. So there is a culture that underpins all this stuff. Yeah, as well, that's, not, you know? that's kind of what I mean by when you get to these panels and you say, am I the only working class person there? Yeah. I'd say I'm the only person on that panel that um, that would relate and, and kind of connect to, in inverted brackets, working class culture. Mm. Um, do you reckon you can think, tell? Do you think you can tell on people if someone is? Oh, 100% mate. Yeah, I got, I, got, I got a perfect radar for it. It's, it's not just the accent. I just think it's, I think you wear it on your skin, you wear it on your clothes, you wear it in your attitude to, to certain things. Um, and it's a level of comfort in it, I think, in certain rooms or in certain conversations that I think yeah, you, you kind of relate. pick. You can kind of pick it up. Hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, I, I think me wrong. I could. I talk to a lot of people that 
are working in the film industry that probably, you know, maybe had it a little bit better than me, but are certainly would class themselves as working class. And there are some that kind of click right into that culture and you just know yeah. it instantly. And there are well, others that will say, yeah, I'm working class, but you go, yeah, but... I don't think you are just from the way you're talking and I'm, ju- I'm judging, but I mean, you're judging, you're yeah, there's two things to that. There is also some people that are working class that have tried to, uh, and a lot of black people say this, that when they're, you know, moving into more, you know, kind of different companies and organizations, they have to sort of tone down their blackness a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if there are also a lot of working class people that have to do that. And even things like, you know, removing the accent a bit, dressing a bit smarter, carry, do you know what I mean? Stuff like that. There, I think that's the, the Mrs. Bouquet kind of thing. I mean, there are, you know, there are presenters that have had elocution lessons to stop their accents. You know, you know, there's a couple from this city as well, and you can just tell and it creeps out every now and again. I mean, I still do that now. Like, do you? I, 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 yeah, when I, when I first started really badly, I used, to, I used to try and pretend I was somebody else. And then yeah. as I got a little bit successful, I stopped doing it. But but as much. But I still definitely do it. Like, I'm definitely still... Yeah. I still feel like I'm uh, I'm comfortable being myself a lot more with my mates or down the pub. But I've seen or, you. I've seen... I've, yeah, I've seen you. That's and and I am in, in, in a room full of film food. Let me shut that yeah. dog up in <laughs> Stop it. The other question I want to ask you about classes, because people do argue about the definition. So where I live, there's a lot of van dwellers, for example, that will say that, you know, and rightly so, that Bristol has high rents and they can't afford to live in houses and they, you know, choose a sort of countercultural lifestyle. And they would say economically, you know, because they're not very well off, that they are, um, they're working class in the Marxist definition of class, which, as I said before, is about actually what money do you have, what property do you have, and they don't have much other than the van. But they don't, a lot of them don't sound like they are. Well, that's 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 another that's kind of a thing again where it comes into culture, isn't it? Because those type of people, I don't know them, so I'm, I don't. I'm know talking them. like new age travellers more than more than like I think you've got Roma and Irish travellers that is that real tradition of their kind of culture. I'm talking more the more than new age travellers, yeah? yeah. Yeah, so I suppose it's, I, I imagine those would still be the kind of people that sneer at working class culture. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah, they might be skinned. This is what I mean. Like, working class is, is too broad a label. It's about lived experience, isn't it? And they've got one lived experience. We've got another. We might all be skinned, but culturally, we're probably very different. That Radio 4 thing you did the other day. Yeah. I thought that lady describing Bristol as a series of villages was spot on. Yeah. And, and yeah. it's just kind of like, it's this thing where, like, Hartcliffe feels separate to Bristol. Mm. It feels like it's own little village. And, and that's the same thing with a lot of working class. Uh, is that because of the geography as well? Because just it's just literally hard to get to. It's the su- southernmost estate in the city, to, to a degree. But I mean, it, it's hard to stay connected if you're skinned, isn't it? If you, you can't jump on a bus or you can't jump in a taxi or there's not much going on, hmm. the bridge is the gap between the, just the centre of Bristol and, and the estates. Yeah, and educationally, I mean, as well as socially, then it's, it becomes difficult. I mean, there's also this thing, like when you when you grow up on a council estate, you've got this kind of affinity and this loyalty to it, this staunch loyalty. That's where you're from, do you know what I mean? And 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 everybody else is an outsider. So I think that kind of sticks as you grow older as well. Yeah. Yeah. Which, again, doesn't help when you eventually get an adult at work in life. You step out and you step into these these new workplaces or arenas. That's another reason why you feel a bit a bit different is because yeah. for the last 20 years of your life, you've, you've, not, you've barely left you know, you're a state. And you said in that in that documentary, 
whilst it's good to be representing working class culture in a predominantly middle class space, i.e. film, yeah, sometimes you feel like a token. I mean, I, I feel like I tick a box for certain people um, and for panels. I think, I think I'm a little bit of a protection for them, for people to go, well, hang on a minute, there's no working class voices in this room. There um, is, that's Paul Holbrook, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, 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 I am. the screen, yeah. I, you know, I just feel like the working class thing, and again, I find, I find it difficult to, to, to refer to, to it just as working class, because it's, it's almost lower class, but that sounds horrible to say, doesn't it? But it's... Underclass as well. So, I mean, this is the irony. Is I was talking to somebody about this the other day. Is when you talk about the definition of switches and changing. You know, I've I saw you see in Artcliff. You know, when I was doing community work, I'd be working with families that had three generations of unemployment that mm. would kind of be like underclass is a horrible kind of phrase, but that you know that intergenerational unemployment from when you know the factories closed in places like Barton Hill and and it was never really replaced. It just became worklessness. Yeah, and, and, all, and, and, and issues, again, because people are so kind of like staunch in their loyalty to where they come from, a lot of the issues are, feel like we're going to deal with these issues in-house. So there's loads of like community efforts to get stuff to help people, to, to drag people up, to like do more like things with the community, with education, youth yeah. clubs, and all this kind of thing. And it's almost like... I don't know. There's this attitude of I'll just leave them to it. They've got a load of good uh, community volunteers down there. They're they're slogging away, but you yeah. don't really feel like there's much engagement. Well, it's, that, it's that thing. It's one thing to engage with the problem, isn't it? It's another thing to engage with it culturally and understand why the problem's there in the first place, and why other people on the estate are, you know, uh, relating to that problem. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So, like, when you get all these community volunteers, which are, are amazing, there's loads so many good community things going on. Number one, it's almost like there's funding, but we don't trust you with it, so we're going to come in and manage it for you. There's mm-hmm. that thing, which is a bit yeah. kind of uh, rude. But, um, yeah, I think there's this thing when they do come in, you know, as these saviours, they, they just see the issue and they don't, they don't try to understand where it came from or why it's an issue in the first place. You know what I mean? They just want to mm. fix the kind of the title of the issue. It's like youth engagement or something because all the kids rang their ankles in trouble. They don't understand necessarily the issues those kids have got at home or they don't necessarily understand where the parents are coming from or, mm. do you know what I mean? Or they don't necessarily understand the community kind of yeah. legacy and and they just kind of come in and go, yeah, how about this, how about the other? And, it's, it, um, and my, my, big, my big challenge to to the third sector because obviously since we've had council cuts to a lot of you know youth work, community work, it's not kind of there. You ha- it has been filled by some good organisations across the whole of the city, including Hartcliffe, right? Yeah. My real challenge is that I only really ever see people from those estates, yeah, mm. wherever that is, doing like delivery roles. Do you know what I mean? It's like they're, it's all right for them to be working at the coalface, but they don't ever – they're never the ones that are as the chief executives – yeah, 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 yeah. Or, or, or running, as you say, running the finance or doing the real strategy. It's like, oh, it's almost like a bit like, like, or we'll just send them out. Like the, the army, it's like quite, it feels quite hierarchical. And actually, it's a very middle class managerial model, a lot of community work. Yeah, I do know what you mean. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's people breaking out of uh, the estates and, and getting into those roles. And that's where the, the door is locked, yeah, but, it, but, they, but why would they, they even have to break out of the estate? Because if the, if the organisation is already in Artcliffe, already in Noel West, already in Southmead, 
then then I don't really mean break out of the estate physically. I mean kind of like the stigma of the estate. Like, you know yeah, I mean? oh, right. I see. Oh, right. Okay. So they're seen as the only thing you can be trusted with is is that. Yeah, like yeah. to break away from the stigma that you're that you're from Arcliffe or that you're from North yeah. West, and therefore. You know, yeah, you can, you can go on the streets and work with the kids, but yeah, you're not going to be in charge of the money. We're not, or don't give don't give him the paperwork to do. You yeah, know what yeah. I mean? There's a, there's a little bit of that, I think, and I, I'm not sure how aware chief executives and you know, because I've been in managerial meetings and stuff like that, and that's when you start to see and find oh, oh as man. well, but some of the most intelligent, some of the most intelligent people I know are people I've grown up with on on my house in the state, and I've been all day long. Right, just jump in there and say Bristol Cable is a membership organisation and you can join. This whole podcast is funded by the members and we have some challenging conversations and we have some interesting conversations, some funny conversations, some serious conversations and we want to continue with this series. So we need your help and your support. If you become a member and you've got an idea and you might want us to talk about that, you have a say, you have a choice in the cable. It's a cooperative so go on the website and find out how you do become a member and join and chuck some money in every month cheers back to the chat let's change tact a bit mm. I want to talk a bit about this class report that was out yeah. white privilege yeah. uh, was one thing that was plucked out about it so we have seen a recent report by tony sewell about race which yeah. um, was criticised quite heavily for dismissing institutional racism and was kind of jumped on by a lot of people, including a sizable percentage of the black community and some of the other stuff that was in it, because there was about, you know, a lot of recommendations kind of got lost a little bit. The class report is 85 pages long. I've got a copy of it. And there's a, there's a small amount where they talk about white privilege. And within that, they talk about the fact that perhaps when the conversation has been about white privilege, what we've done is taken our eye off the ball and mm-hmm. focused a bit too much on maybe, you know, minority communities and not enough on some white working class communities. And that is why they are struggling. And statistically, you know, evidence indicates the lowest education attainment, white working class boys. Yeah. And there's been a fury and an outrage response to that from, from, from people from the black community, but actually predominantly, I would say a lot from, white sort of liberal maybe center-left kind of people you tweeted something was quite angry about it which went against the orthodoxy it's partly one of the reasons to wanted to talk to you when you said that we finally get the floor and it's being swept away from us straight away i mean first things first the white privilege thing i think i think there's an issue with us not being able to have three or four issues at one time it's like you can only be fully behind two or three and, our, and ours seems to be at the bottom of the pile i think it's kind of like Listen, if, if you're if you're in the queue for, for the crumbs off the table, right? Yeah. And all this stuff about BLM, white privilege, which are all legitimate issues and deserve as much airtime as anything else. But if you're a white working class guy from Arcliffe, you feel like every time these issues are forced and pushed in the media, on Twitter, everywhere you look, you just feel like you're being pushed further and further and further to the back of that queue for the crumbs. That's what I took from the report. That you know, you can't just cast it aside just because, you know, it's saying that white privilege may have something to do with it. It's just kind of like I don't know. I just find that all the Twitter's is a is a lefty minefield in it. But it just seemed like the whole of Twitter was just shitting on the report. And I just think if it was a similar report about minority issues, they wouldn't dare shit on it. They'd be all for it, retweeting it, and saying hurrah. 
But as soon as it's about a working class issue, they just want they just want to pull it apart and yeah. and and yeah and and yeah they, they keep talking about this divide and conquer, but oh, that, that's more divisive than anything. I think I think what people were saying that I've read there's some actually very good stuff in it. That mm. one bit that they were reacting to, however, was picked up by the media as the one bit about the Sewell report was picked up about debunking institutional racism was jumped on by the media and people reacted to the media. There were people being interviewed on Good Morning Britain, a friend of mine works there, that were asked, well, what did you think when you read it? And they were like, well, I haven't read it. <laughs> so it's like, you're re- so what you're doing is you're reacting. Already you, everyone's reacting to a filtered interpretation of something by media outlets that, dare I say, have an agenda to get people arguing amongst themselves, right? So that was happening. But I think what happened was that, A, it's a Conservative Party recommended report. So immediately, you know, there's just feeling that this is stoking the culture wars. Mm -hmm. And it's trying to negate all the progress that Black Lives Matter has made by regaling that and saying, whoa, whoa, hang on a minute, what about white working class kids? And I'm like, well, that's one way of interpreting it. And And saying that... Actually, white privilege and the conversation being about white privilege hasn't been helpful for white working class boys. And that is the reason they've been left behind, right? I would come back at that and say, well, actually, the reason they've been left behind is because of lack of investment, lack of focus, lack of resource. Yeah. yeah? And it's an academic thing on Twitter. And as you say, it is left leaning and, you know, that the people are um, kind of debating this as it, as it's like a coffee table debate. Me and you both know we could walk into pubs in South Bristol now and a lot of people would be annoyed and would feel that they don't get the push you know, yeah. straight from the horse's mouth. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. So so my question really is how how can we take the sting out of this and not make it a kind of either or it's for this or, or for that? or And actually, why can't we just support, you know, uh, both, I oh. guess? This is this is the thing. This is this is this, in an ideal world. That's exactly what I'm talking about. But what I don't understand and what I don't like is that they'd be wrong. Take the media out of it. That's one thing. Like, you know, yeah. we all know what the media do. That's 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 by the by. But what? But when you look, when you when you're in a white working class environment like Arcliffe, right? Yeah. And all you ever see, and they'd be wrong. Like we've had this conversation before. A lot of it comes down to class more so than maybe race and everything else. Anyway. But what? But all, if all you see is everybody else getting that push, everybody else's issues just getting the limelight, getting the newspaper pages, getting the news reports, you know what I mean, get on the TV, it's everywhere constantly, which is great for all those issues. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, it'd be our turn in a minute. You eventually get a turn to like start talking about this stuff. Yeah. And it just seems like the people that were tearing it apart and shitting on it yeah. were the left-leaning liberals. Yeah. And it's like, well, they're supposed to be the ones that are kind of like social justice. Any any issue we talk about, and you use the word white, or yeah. it comes from a from a working class viewpoint, it yeah. just feels like it's either sneered at, shit on, or people does this blanket accusation of racism. And it's just kind of like yeah. why Gammon. All, all, the, all these issues, you can all like I don't like why can't like it's absolutely fine. Like lived experiences of black people. Have the floor, fight your corner, do your thing, and I'm with you all the way. The same with all the other issues we were constantly talking about. But as soon as you pipe up and start talking about working class issues, it's jumped on, and it's just because it's just because it's got that scary word "white" at the front of it. Yeah, and they do need to accept the notion of white privilege, which isn't about class or economics. It's about the only thing that doesn't, you know, that you're not advantaged or you're dis or you're not disadvantaged for is the color of your skin. 
Yeah, mm. you might be completely disadvantaged and unprivileged in every other way, but there is lots of statistical evidence to indicate that you would have more specific disadvantage for being black. You know, you're going to be stopped and searched, you know, five times more. You're going to uh, receive sort of longer sentencing. You're. Well, I, 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 don't, I don't want to be. I don't want to come out of this like, oh, what about what about what? Yeah, about? No, I know. Yeah. People in Arcliffe are pulled over all the time. People are always. If the police are coming to work, if they assume you're up to no good, it's the same if you walk yeah. into a and place of work with a, with a with an accent or say. But we mark. don't have that data. That's the point. Paul. We don't have that data. There is no data to say what is white working class people's statistics of them being pulled over, or what is. So the the, the wider point is right. We are mm-hmm. talking about race here, and people do differentiate the conversation to do with race, and totally, and I totally get why. Well, a lot of people are kicking about saying, "Why are you not just saying working class, not white working class?" I would argue that actually probably because because people are talking a lot about race now, which is good, we're not talking about class. So when people say working class, I, I would love people to say working class and let's stop overly playing identity politics and talk about working class, black, brown and white, because we all have been shafted on by the same kind of people and what it does by not acknowledging that you don't have class solidarity. What you have is you have little pockets of divisions and but I also don't, and this is going to be controversial, and I'll say it, you know, you know, if somebody wants to challenge me on it, I don't see enough black people talking about class either, as yeah. much as white people talking about race. And if they say, well, let's let's build a bridge across that division, that doesn't mean it's negating or it's ignoring the reality of racism or the reality of classism. What it's saying is, where is there an overlap? Yeah, well, this, this is the thing. So it's like, we all know we're being pitted against each other. Like, that's obvious. We know the media do it. We know the government do it. We know, we know this happens. But what happens is it's the people, again, I'm just going to call them lefties, I think we call them, that fall for it, in my opinion. And people on the far right also fall for it. And what actually happens is the actual issues just get lost in the in the nonsense. Yeah. Um, and do you think most people actually really give a shit about it all anyway? They just get on with their lives? It's only because we see it on Facebook, Twitter, media, it gets over-amplified. I think it's like, I mean, like... Culture all- war stuff, I mean, and all that, yeah. I would say this is a strange. So, like all my black mates who live in Arcliffe, who I played football with and grew up with and drunk at a pub with and everything else, right? They don't see, they don't feel like the BLM, the white police, really talks for them or to them. It kind of feels like that's separate. They stay, I'm, I'm generalizing a little bit, I'm talking yeah, for, yeah. for people, but they feel a lot more in tune with the working class culture yeah. and working class issues than they do with issues in their name. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Just because yeah. of the colour of their skin. Sure. Um, but, but, but going back to the report, and I think because people are are scared to talk about it, won't talk about it, you know, what happens is, is when the stuff that's very easily identifiable, so like the colour of someone's skin, their gender, their disability, their sexuality, it's easy just to go, right, that's, that, that's an issue about sexuality, that's an issue about uh, people of colour, that's an issue about disability. But when it comes to white working class issues, yeah. they're just not, spoke about it and they just don't get the air it's an interesting point so it's not what they call protected characteristics and there is a movement and some people in kind of class circles as there's a writer who i follow on twitter that she she's campaigning and pushes that she says class should also be a protected characteristic because if we're talking about lack of representation and diversity in education in teachers in the media well in my game in film in your game is that actually a lot of those barriers are economic and and you can't afford to be an intern journalist. It's 11% of working class journalists, for example. But there isn't a huge drive to shift and change that. So I guess my question to you is how can we make it, if, if it's not going to be a protected characteristic, it's certainly a higher 
priority. And I do feel, and I'm going to get shot down in flames to this, that I would say, and I question perhaps the motivation as to why, because he's playing to his core Brexit base a little bit. But I do think this Tory government are talking a little bit more about class and some of the older traditional ones in the past. No? Yeah, I mean, there's, they're definitely talking about it more, whether they're doing it for valid reasons or just to, you know, to pick up boots. I don't know, but I don't know. I th- it com- it all comes back to culture, I think, just because it's it's like when, when people are talking about, it's easy to talk about, say, for example, um, issues around people of colour, right? Because it's yeah. all about just the colour of their skin. That's very easy for them to identify. Okay, yeah, we can deal with that. We can put a little thing on the application form. Are you a person of colour? Job done. But when, when it becomes working class issues, like you said before, it's about culture. So if they, they can't really understand it, how can they combat it? And how can you identify it? Yeah, how can you identify it, yeah. It picks up on education with this recent report because you can identify it there because what they their definition of working class is kids that are on free school meals. So you can count the amount of kids on free school meals and you can relate that to academic yeah. academic achievement or not achievement. And the, the real fascinating thing for me, one of the fastest, highest achieving uh, demographics in in education are West African boys, and less so with the descendants from the Caribbean, from from kind of Windrush. So it's clearly not just about being black. There's something else yeah. going on. There's something different going on. And then what happened with the suddenly white working class boys, not girls, but boys, became the lowest attainment and and superseded and overtook Caribbean boys. Was that people weren't talking about the education system being institutionally classist? They were going, yeah, but they come from families where. Um, you know, they don't really encourage education and they come from families where there's a single parent there and there, you know, there's a bit of poverty and there's a problem. And they sort of blamed it on the families automatically, right? Yeah. You wouldn't do, if you did that, if you did that, you know, about a, a Caribbean family now, you'd be up in flames about it. And that's not to say that that is the case. My argument is to say that I do think schools are institutionally classist. And, and also there's always a number of factors to things that, you know, there are, where there aren't enough black teachers in, in schools, and there aren't, there's a really low percentage in Bristol. There ain't that many from the estate either, Paul. Do you know what I mean? So I, I guess my wider point is, why can we not approach the same issues in a similar fashion? It's the white bloody liberals that are like, mm. oh, no, you can't do that. And, do you know what I mean? And I, do you know what? I'm going to chuck it out there. So do you know why, why that is? Because they want to keep the conversation just at race, because if they don't, it will expose their own class privilege that got them into the positions in which they're in now. They don't want the conversation to go that deep on this stuff. Yeah, it does make sense. And I mean, that's why it comes all the way back to, to what you were saying earlier about me being the only one on the panel and it feeling like a head pat. Yeah, I'm on a panel. I'm not the... I'm not the top dog, am I? And and yeah. not many people from working class areas end up the top dog in, in these institutions that are put in place to, to sort yeah. these issues. As very few black people do as well. Yeah. You know, they, they call it snowy peak syndrome. The real key decision makers in both of these arenas are the same people. Yeah. Yeah. And what they'll do is they'll do a sleight of hand move and have these sort of decorative diversity initiatives. And I'm quite forceful. I said, no, 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 give people the power to decision make, give people the agency. Get And, and the other thing is get out of the way. You know, get, you keep talking about representation and there's not enough of this and that and the other. And I'm like, all right, okay, you're, you're, a, you're a 60 year old wealthy white man. Fuck off then. <laughs> yeah, like, no, sorry, sorry, fuck off. Get out of your seat and give your job up for a working class person or a black person. And that actually that's you know real kind of shift and change in isn't it? But I don't see any of them doing it, Paul. Yeah, but that's that's a bit short sighted, isn't it? Because that's is just, that a bit harsh. Yeah, well it's just asking for instant change. Like it's like a yeah. lot of these people in the positions do have good intentions. Like, don't get me wrong, like mm. 
the people I'm talking about, they have good intentions. They want to make change, but they don't relate or engage, like I said before, with the culture. So it's do you think they do, or they just think, or do you think they just know that they sort of have to do it that now because there's a bit of pressure, and that you know it's not a good look. It's not a good look. It's like I don't know. Say you're talking about a big organization, and you and you want a working class voice at the top or a black person at the top. Yeah. You need you need working class people and black people at the bottom first, don't you? Yeah, but that's always the argument. They've got to work their way up, and they never do because the culture doesn't fit. By the time you've been there two, three years, I've seen it happen so many times. And in fairness, David Olasoga in his Edinburgh lecture said the same thing about himself, his experience in the media, and also the Mayor Marvin Reese's experience when he was at the BBC, was that actually what happens is you don't fit in with the culture because there aren't enough people around you or people have cultural intelligence or understanding. So what happens is you have a really bad time, a really bad experience, and you end up leaving. Yeah, and, uh, that's, you know, and so, so, so it isn't going to change unless you've got people at the top that can actually, what I would call, create that change managers will actually like knock heads together, shift and change the culture of an organisation in a real and meaningful way. And I yeah. tell you what, you know, and I say this to you because when you make films, and I probably should have said this earlier, all your crews are predominantly local. Do get some bigger actors in from the outside, but you will use non-actors, local people from the estate. You did a film with young people, shiny. You know, you've got auditions for like ninety to hundred young kids from South Bristol. You're not just talking about it; you're actually doing it. But this is what I mean. So it's, it's like, you know, we're, we're both kind of right. Like I get what you're saying, but the problem with with what you said, Marvin, he ends up leaving. Da 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 da. It's because he's the only one. Yeah. What I'm saying is you need to change the culture at the bottom first of all so that when you go into these places, you're not the only one. Yeah. It's just all this kind of stuff. And it's not it's not a handout. It's not because it's, oh, we need... It's just that it makes things more better and grounded and rounded. And, and if you're telling stories about... You know, how many films get made about working class council estates by middle class posh people? Um, yeah. It's a genuine question. I don't know. Is it quite? Well, is it quite a lot, or yeah, is it most of them? Most of them, yeah, I would say. Yeah, yeah. So but that's more. That's more because I mean, that's again, that's changing a little bit because yeah. I mean, going back to for talking about film, that's beginning to change because a lot of the funding is now aimed at mm. black people, people with disabilities, mm. um, gay people. You know, yeah. the obvious ones, yeah. And, so it's changing. That's good. Well, that's, that's good in that way, then. Yeah, yeah, it's it's good. But working class is never really a box to tick on these forums for funding because they don't understand the culture. So if they make a a, a film about, uh, you know, think of a black filmmaker's money to make a film, mm. they've ticked the black box, right? Yeah, they do the same. Da, 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 da. But the good thing about it is, a lot of the black films they make are also working class films. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think there's an issue with, like, if if you do fall into one of these categories where you're burdened with a label. Yeah. You feel like you have to use that to your advantage to get funding, not because yeah. you've got a cool story or maybe you've got a bit of talent. It's like yeah. all yeah. that. But, yeah. Yeah, um, you think we're, but I think we're probably actually both guilty of that. I mean, if we're you honest. Have you have to do it. Like, yeah. oh, if we wouldn't have played that card, I would not be where I am today, one billion percent. Yeah. But so and it's you- almost like a double double bind, isn't it? You kind of, you've got to use, I mean, you know, even me, there's, you know, class and culture, I guess my background in community development, I've taken that into journalism and it's very Bristol focused a bit. And I'm kind of like, I have a bit like, this is great. I want to do stuff about loads of things, nothing to do with Bristol as well, you know, uh, you know, beyond in documentaries and stuff like that. And for you, I guess it's like, yeah, you know, you want to make other films, you want to be known for other things, but I'd be lying. And I'm pretty same for you that I haven't banged that drum a bit. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a little bit luckier in regards to... Because when it comes to filmmaking, there's always a part of you in every film you make. So my culture is always going to 
play a part in the films I make. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Because that's what makes me up. That's what that's where my stories come from. That's where my characters come from. Yeah. Whereas obviously journalism is a bit different because you need the wide scope to. Yeah. You, you follow the story, don't you? Whereas, whereas with filmmaking, you follow kind of you know what's going on inside. So, my culture is always going to inform and be involved in the films I make. Yeah. What I'm saying is, is you know, if I want to make a a, a thriller or the werewolf movie or a superhero movie, I can do that. Yeah. And my culture will make that film feel very different. Who are, who are good examples of people for you that do do that in the UK, that are, that are authentic working-class filmmakers? Oh, you know I'm a massive fan of Shane Meadows. love yeah. Shane Meadows, but, I mean, he does make working-class films, doesn't he? Yeah. But yeah, I love, I love everything he does. Yeah. Um, I love everything Jimmy McGovern writes, for example. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm struggling to, to think of any more. Well, <laughs> what about people like Ken Leach? Yeah, I mean, I'm not a fan because I, I mean, because that's a, that's a criticism of him that he's actually, you know, he's a sort of posh bloke doing poverty porn. Is that a bit harsh? Because I mean, he still makes good bloody films, regardless. Because there's a counter argument to this, which is that you know you can you can do stuff and you can do brilliant things, and you don't have to be of that. Does that make sense? Yeah, of course it does. Because that, that's the reverse argument to what we're saying. If I'm saying I want to be able to make Films set in you know middle class London. If I want to make if I want to make Paddington, by the same yeah. token, the guy that directs Paddington should be able to make yeah something like that's not it's the bit, issue. It's, no, it's not. I mean, it's t- it's probably it's tilted too much the other way. But I also think it, that there is that you just need to hear more unique voices. That's all, and voices that are fueled by the culture of working class life. Yeah. That's yeah. all it is. I mean, Ken Luke has got his place in in filmmaking world, and yeah. you know he makes issue films more these days. He highlights issues, so yeah. fair play to him. But I still doubt that. You know that they're very, they feel very um, this fetishization of the culture, yeah, the working class. Well, it's, culture. it's a one-sided idea. They lack nuance. Those films are very heavy-handed and on the news because they're dealing mm. with uh, someone on the outside looking in at a particular issue. Mm. So you know what did he, he did? Sorry, we missed you, didn't he? And it was about zero-hour contracts, for example. Mm. So you know, it's a film that is very heavy-handed in regards to zero-hour contracts are bad, and this is the effect it has on on poor families. I know, for example, I know a load of people on zero-hour contracts that wouldn't want to work any other way. So it's like it just lacks a bit of nuance sometimes, I think. That, because that's a romantic... And there'll be a lot of people listening to this that will be very much anti that type of... But yeah, I, I know people the same. They're like, well, I want the flexibility and the privilege. I don't, yeah. I don't want to be... There is a very kind of palatable, acceptable face of what the working class is a bit. And it's almost a bit like... Um, the other one, the other thing is as well, and I think Thatcher sort of got this, you know, whatever people say, she still won three elections, but she's obviously vilified in certain kind of circles. But that, the entrepreneurial, aspirational element, a lot of kind of people on the left, actually, I would say people on the left, middle class kind of lefties really struggle understanding that, that actually there are a lot of people that come from council estates that just want to get get the fuck out of there and to get money. And like you just said earlier, not to be hungry and to have a good job and a nice car and move to a nice area. And then they're selling out their class traitors and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, well, to be honest, I, in my experience, most most actual working class people in council do think like that. What, that they want to leave? Or, or, or not that not that not just leave that they want to better themselves. That might be you know, that might be just to move to Dundry from Artcliffe, or it might be to get a bigger house in Artcliffe, or it might or whatever. But they want to do financially better. Whereas 
going back to the thing we spoke about earlier, you know, some people in vans and stuff like that, there's a kind of, they have a romantic, it's like almost like Pete Doherty, is that a romantic yeah, kind of yeah, thing, yeah. a young, posh, rich, oh, I want to slum it and take heroin and be all like, oh, cool, and, you know, live in round here, let's go to Eastern and Stokes Croft where it's all really edgy and this, and actually it's like, <laughs> you know, people people from places like Arcliffe and Noel West and stuff like that, it's like they just want to get on in the world, don't they? I would say 90% of the people I do, yeah. everyone wants a bit more money in their pocket. Why not? Yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing. I mean, it's not... This is the thing, again, what I'm talking about. So, like, in Hartcliffe, most of it's council houses, yeah? yeah? Yeah. So, people... That's probably one of the reasons why people stay there a lot, because, you know rent's cheap or whatever and they stay there and they've been cancellations their whole life and, they and, 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 and to put the context of that your whole fa- you've got like loads of family in Arcliffe your auntie your uncle they all still live there don't they yeah yeah, yeah. 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 And, I, and but whereas I it's a weird thing because like I know I know some people that go I blooming hate Arcliffe I cannot wait to get out I want to get out it's, it's vile and, and in places it is vile and at times it is vile but at the same time I think when you've grown up in a culture where it's all about community and local boozers and your local football team and all your friends and family are nearby like yeah you don't want to move too far away because that is where you feel like you belong do you know what i mean so even yeah. if you might get a decent job buy a house and move up to dundry or witchurch or bishopsworth you're not too far away too far away and, yeah and yeah. the culture still remains like you're still ingrained in the culture still so you're still into it yeah. Yeah, yeah you're still you're still you know saturday morning going to the calf and in the book is or yeah. your mates at the pub like, do you know what I mean you're, you're still ingrained in that working class culture it's like Wayne Rooney isn't it? when Wayne yeah. Rooney has his wedding like he's not having caviar and exactly. uh, you know smoked salmon he was having chicken in a bucket with chips wasn't he and you know, <laughs> he's a multi-millionaire like, do you know what I mean like, so yeah there is a, it is a cultural thing as, as much as anything you know yeah. I mean I think that's the thing if you've if you've had struggle in your life and you've come out the other side that always, that's always going to be a part of you isn't it and I think that's why I don't, that's certainly why yeah. I like to yeah. do what I can and encouraging kids and to tell yeah. kids it's possible is because, you know, I feel a little bit sorry for the kid that was me. Do you know what I mean? So there's a bit of a catharsis. A sort of yeah, whereas thing. if you've grown yeah. up in Arcliffe, say, for example, with a mum and a dad who both had a decent job, you had a couple of, couple of holidays a year or yeah. holiday a year, you eventually did well and moved out of Arcliffe. Yeah. You, you probably, if you haven't had that struggle, yeah. you're probably not as attached to the other kids that are, that are struggling. Yeah. Whereas if you did come through struggle, when you see other when you see it happening to other kids because you still live nearby, you still live on the estate, yeah, you just feel like you have a responsibility. I think I feel like I've got a responsibility to yeah, and a loyalty to Arcliffe. Like that's why I don't want to just leave it behind. Yeah, like, all my mates got a trade. All my mates work in a building trade. All mm. of them. Yeah, and I'm the only one that would have wouldn't last five seconds in a building. Yeah, trade. there you go. That's the kind definitely of visibility of opportunity is a big is a big thing. But also, I just think. Um, you know the adults in their life so again going back to teachers that are coming into the into these schools not all of them and it's changing a bit now but certainly when I was young for a start it's like they they have no you know they have no aspirations for you they just think that's that's going to be your lot so you you have the choice of two or three you know you do what your dad did what your uncle did or you go and get an apprenticeship you have to convince the parents the uncles the aunties the cousins the mates, yeah. the landlords at the pub, the youth workers, the teachers, the, all these people need to be convinced that yeah. that just because you're born in a place like Arcliffe does not mean no. that you're going to go and get one of these jobs. There, there are loads of good people fighting a good fight, and it's, it's just we just need we need more of them. Uh, those people that are fighting need more funding. Um, they need more visibility, and like you said earlier on, like these these big institutions and big companies that are holding the purse strings need to uh, pull a few more chairs up to the table. 
Top man, Paul. Good to chat. And um, what's 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 the net? What's coming up for you? You're off to America, aren't you? Is that right for for a film thing soon? Is that right? No, I don't think that's going to happen now because because of, of COVID. I think that put a dent in all that. Um, so yeah, so I've got a film coming out called Hollow that's going to be in festivals um, later this year. I'm um, going to be doing a screening in Bristol soon as well, which is which is cool. But yeah, no, I'm going to have a screening of that soon. And then I've got a film, that film I did with Larry Lamb, that's in post-production at the moment, and that should be out probably. And Larry Lamb is, for those that don't know, he plays the dad in Gavin and Stacey, doesn't he? Yeah. yeah, and he was Archie Mitchell in EastEnders, yeah, top user. Yeah. So yeah, got, so yeah, two films coming out, and then I've got a few things in development. Um, still still trying to get that first feature off the ground, mate, at some point. Still, still chasing people to give me some money. Stuff, mate. Well, let's hope they do. And um, yeah, always good to chat to you, mate. And uh, catch up soon. Yeah, Cheers, up, man. Cheers, mate. Ta da. That's it on this episode of Bristol Unpacked. Thanks to Paul Holbrook for talking to us. And next week, we will have another fascinating guest with a brilliant topic. Thanks for listening to Bristol Unpacked. I'm Neil Mags. And a big thanks to Rosa Eaton, our audio producer, Adam Cantwell-Corn, our executive producer, and Blue Dot for our music. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on new episodes. And if you want to support what we're doing, join the Bristol Cable along with 2,000 others to create a new kind of media for the city.